We've been looking together the book of Romans for several weeks, just kind of hitting some high spots. This morning, we're going to do it one more time, and then we're going to step out because, well, you know what? Easter's just a few weeks away, and so we're going to step out of Romans for a few weeks. We'll step back in once Easter has come and gone, but in the meantime, this morning, if you've got a Bible, I want to invite you to take it and turn to the book of Romans, the eighth chapter. I, I just... It's so hard for me to step into Romans chapter 8 and step out of Romans chapter 8. Chapter 8 in Romans is one of the richest chapters found anywhere in the Word of God. It describes for us what it means to be a child of the King and what life is like when we walk with and live in the Spirit of God. I don't know what your life is like from day to day, week to week. I've walked through some things with some of you, and I understand that your life's not that different from mine. We struggle. We have tough times. We have hard days. We have weeks that we wish didn't happen. We had months that we wish we could just mark off the calendar and act like they were never there. But I want to recommend to you Romans chapter 8. Because I want you to understand this is a chapter I turn to. When I need hope or comfort. When I find myself feeling like the waves are coming over the top and I'm about to get washed out to sea and I'm just overwhelmed with everything or maybe I'm down and feeling a little bit melancholy and wondering what do I do next? How do I make this work? How do I make things come together? This is where I go. Whenever I need someone to speak to me and renew my strength, I turn to Romans chapter 8 and say, Lord, feed me. And he does. He tells me what it means to be his child. He tells me what it means to walk with him. But he also explains what it means to live with a sense of anticipation. And I want you to get a piece of that this morning. I had someone tell me one time, because I I do, I get wound up about Romans chapter 8. It's one of my favorite chapters in all of Scripture. And, And I had somebody tell me, you know, you sure get wound up about that. And I said, you would too if you were me. And they said, what do you mean by that? And I said, I can't speak for anybody else, but I'm going to tell you right now. I deserve the wrath of God. I deserve for God to judge me and pour out his wrath on me. I am a dirty, filthy, rotten sinner saved by grace. If it were not for the fact that I could say saved by grace, I would be a man with no hope. Because there is nothing about me, there is nothing in my life, there is nothing in my head, there is nothing about me that would commend me to God and say, God, you should be merciful to me. The only reason I experience his mercy is because of Jesus Christ. And when I pick up my Bible and I open it to Romans chapter 8, and if you've got yours open, you can see what I'm about to say. There are two words at the very beginning of this chapter that just make my heart soar. Paul started off saying, therefore, there is now, get this, no condemnation. I'm free. I am free because of what Jesus Christ has done for me. I don't live under condemnation. There is no condemnation because I belong to the Father through his Son. Man, I'm telling you what, then you start reading this chapter and he starts telling you about what lies there for us, the promises that are there. I mean, if you've got your Bible open, you can skate down through here with me. Paul was writing to the believers in Rome and he said, look, if you are born again, here's what you need to hang on to. You are the sons of God, according to verses 14 and 15. You're his child. Verse 17 says that if you belong to him, 
you are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Verse 19 says that you will be glorified with Christ one day. It doesn't matter what you're going through right now. You've got to look ahead sometimes. Verse 28 says that all things are working together for our good because we belong to him. We are called according to his purpose. And we are, according to verse 29, growing to be more and more like him every day. And still life stinks sometimes, doesn't it? You still have that day. You still have that week. You still have that month. Maybe you have a couple of years in there, you know. But hang on to this. There is not anything in this world. Nothing and no one. No circumstances, no situations. There is nothing in this world that can separate you from God. Nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's a great chapter. I could give an invitation, but I won't. Because we've only just begun. I want us to look in the middle part of this chapter together. And I want us to just think about what Paul has to say about the suffering and the glory, the groaning and the glory, the struggle and the victory. So if you've got your Bible open to chapter 8, I want to encourage you to find verse 12. Once you've found verse 12, if you can, if you will, I'm going to invite you to stand with me in honor of our fathers. We read together from his inspired word. Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 12, Paul writes, Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation But it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you'll live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. But you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. Now, I want to ask you if you would... Look back at verse 18 one more time because this is really, this is the crux of it. This is the crosshairs. This is where it all comes together. When Paul writes and he says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. May God bless the reading of his word. Father, we ask you this morning to speak to our hearts. Reveal to us 
the truth. Teach us your ways. And Father, if there's one here who does not know you, has never found their way into a relationship with you, I pray that this morning your spirit would convince, convict, and draw them. For myself, my brothers and sisters in this place who are your children, I pray that today we would be convicted to walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling with which we have been called to serve you in a way that brings glory and honor to you as our master. And Father, I pray that you would take in this place a moment and in that moment you would bind together your children that we might be a mighty army to march in lockstep in service to you today and in the days to come, however long you may give us. Father, speak to our hearts. Give us your direction. Call us into your service, for we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. In this passage we just read, there's a special promise for believers, especially for those who experience suffering in this life. Now, remember, Paul was writing this letter to the church in Rome. These people lived in the seat of power. They, they were right under the nose of the Roman emperor. And they were soon going to experience extreme persecution, even though they were probably already experiencing it to some level. And it was all because of the name of Christ. But you know, I've read this chapter, and I've read this letter, and I've gone back and forth through it several times, and I just want to tell you something. Even though he was writing to the church in Rome, nowhere does it say in there that the words that are written there are only for those who lived in Rome in that day. And that gives me great hope and encouragement because it lets me know that these words are for all believers who might experience persecution or experience suffering of any sort in this world and in this life. And when I look in the mirror, I realize something. That covers us all, folks. It covers us all because Paul wants us to understand that we should expect suffering in this life. We get suffering now. I mean, it's just part of the human experience. It's part of what sin has brought into our world and brought into our lives. Everyone suffers in this life. You came here to be encouraged. I hope you are. It does not matter who you are. It doesn't matter how blessed of a life you might be living right now. I just want you to be prepared. I want you to be ready. I want you to understand you will experience suffering. It's part of life. You might have wealth, but you're going to suffer. You might live in the greatest home. It's your, it's your dream house, but you're going to suffer. You may look at your family and say, God has blessed me. I've got it all. I have the most awesome family of anybody that I know. But you're going to suffer. You may get up tomorrow morning and say, I am so blessed. I get to go to my dream job. I get to work all week at my dream job. But you're going to suffer. 
You might wear the finest clothes from the finest clothier, but you're going to suffer. You may eat the best foods in the best dining halls that the world has to offer, but you're going to suffer. You see, suffering is just part of the human experience. It comes to all of us in different forms, in different ways. You can't escape it. I've had people say, well, I'm not so sure I agree with that. I just want to tell you something. I do agree with it completely. Every time that I look out my office window because I hear this squealing sound and I watch an ambulance go one way or the other, or I watch it pull into the wide parking lot to pick up, that's a whole other story. You know, people go work out and have to call an ambulance. That tells me something about this whole working out thing. But every time I watch and I see an ambulance screaming by with the sirens blaring, it's screaming out to me, they're suffering in this world. Every time I pull up in front of a hospital or I pull into the parking garage and, and I'm going in to visit someone, it's a reminder to me that suffering is real. And very seldom do I ever drive past a cemetery that I don't see a tent set up out there or maybe a family gathered. And I'm reminded, suffering is part of our life experience. And the suffering that, that, that you face, it, it can take so many different forms. It may be physical, it might be emotional, it might be financial, it might be spiritual. But it's going to come, it's going to come into all of our lives. It may be one or, or it may be a combination, it might be all of those put together, but it's going to be there. And, and some of our suffering is inflicted upon us by other people. The sins of others sometimes impacts our lives or it impacts our families, it impacts our businesses, it, it touches us. And so sometimes it's other people people and, and the choices they're making and the lives they're living that bring suffering into our lives. But you know what? A lot of times the suffering we experience is from self-inflicted choices. We make bad choices. We, we make wrong decisions. We, we do things we shouldn't do. We're in places we ought not to be. We, we're engaged with people we shouldn't be or activities we ought not to be. And here's the reality. One thing is certain. Suffering is part of life. Paul was inspired by God to write this letter. I believe that with all of my heart. But I want you to understand something. Paul was no stranger to suffering either. And I know some people say, well, you know, it's easy for preacher guys to say these things and write these things. And not always, my friends. I want you to understand something. We're people too. And Saul slash Paul may have been more of a real people than most of us are. I mean, he wasn't writing about some ethereal, theoretical type of thing that he didn't understand or didn't experience or didn't live himself. That's not it at all. In fact, if you'll read the book of Acts and then stop back and drop back and read some of his letters, you get an idea. Man, this guy kind of had, had a rough go of it. He experienced blindness at the point of his conversion. Physical blindness. He knew what hunger and thirst were as he traveled. He was whipped, placed in chains, imprisoned. And all of this was just simply because he was preaching. He, he was doing really not anything different than what I'm doing in this room or, or what some of you have done in various places. He suffered because he practiced his faith. One time he was stoned. And they left him for dead outside the city walls of Lystra. 
And when every, everybody got away from him and, and nobody was watching, he got up and ran into the hills and hid. No, 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 that's not how the story goes. He got up and went back into the city. It was kind of like, here I am. Want to go again? I mean, this guy was tough. He suffered for what he believed. He suffered for what he did. Storms, shipwrecks, bitten by a snake. That's my personal favorite. I know most of y'all love snakes. Snake bit, yeah. In one of his letters, he, he says that through all of this, he suffered with a thorn in the flesh. He doesn't explain what that is or who that is or exactly how that impacted him, but all the way through his ministry, he gives the indication that this thorn in the flesh was there. If this great man of God who was used so mightily by God was called upon to suffer, then why should I think, why should, you, why should we think that we would be exempted from this? Paul wants us to understand there is suffering now. Suffering is a part of this life. But before you get so bogged down in that that you think, I'm going to walk out of here and I'm going to feel awful the rest of the day because this guy has told me I'm going to suffer. I want you to know that Paul says there's something more than that. You see, there's glory ahead. There is glory. It's not all about the suffering. The suffering is just setting the stage. The suffering is just part of this life, and it's going to help you understand that there's good out in front of you. And can I tell you something? If you've gone through hard times, the good times are that much sweeter. And Paul would tell his readers in Rome, he says, look, you're going to suffer. I understand that. We all have to suffer. But he says, our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory Get this, that will be revealed. It's still to come. The best is before us. The best is yet to come. And no matter how good life might seem at times, and, and some of you may have walked in here today and said, this is the best it's ever been in my adult life. This is the best I, grades I've ever had in school. This is the best relationship I've ever had with my spouse. This is the best relationship I've ever had with my parents or, or that I've had with my children. Or uh, We may be saying, you know what, life is really sweet right now. Remember this, no matter how good it might be in this moment or, or in another moment in the past or in the future, it's not as good as what God has ahead of us. My dad told me something the other day. He'll be 91 in May. Lord willing to, to let him have those few weeks left. He told me, he said, do you, know how you, when, do you know how you know when you're getting old? I didn't know how to respond. I, I thought, this has got to be a trap. <laughs> a trick question. He said, son, do you know how you know? When you're getting old. Well, no, Dad, I guess I don't. He said, the older you get, the more you start thinking about heaven. Now, I, I think probably for Christians, that's true. I was thinking about that as I was driving home, and I thought to myself, you know, it really is, for me, it's, it's a great comfort to know what Jesus said in John 14. 
in my father's house are many mansions. If there weren't, I would have told you, but hey, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. And once I've got that place ready, I'm going to come again. I'm going to receive you unto myself so that where I am, you can be there too. You know, that's encouraging me to, to know that no matter what's going on in this life, it, when it's all said and done, whenever it's all over, whether that's today, whether that's a decade from now, uh, whether it's an, an hour, listen, it may be right here in the middle. I may just drop, okay? If I do, it's okay. That means my house is done. It's moving in day. Because the Lord has said he's preparing a place for me. And he's preparing a place for each one of those who are his children. So that whenever we come, we've all got our own place. Paul wrote to the, to the church in Philippi. He, he probably, most of you are familiar with this passage. In, in Philippians chapter 1, he says, look, for me to live, for me to live is Christ. Because I'm going to serve him. But to die, to die is gain. You know, and he goes on and he tells them, look, I don't know which to do. I don't know whether to stay here and work among you because I know that that's necessary. It's needed. There's, there's fruitful labor to be done there. But if I leave this body, I get to go and be with him. And he says, I'm torn between the two because I know what's probably required and necessary, but I know what I want. I want to be with Jesus. And I have people all the time asking me, saying, Pastor, how, how do you believe, what do you believe happens when people die? You know, I'm kind of smart, Alec. I usually say, they quit breathing. But you know what the real answer is? They're wanting to know, where do we go? What happens? God's Word tells us. Paul wrote to the Corinthians in second, his second letter to the Corinthian church in the fifth chapter. He said this, while we're at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. But then he said, when we're absent from the body, well, that's to be present with the Lord. So when we're here, when we're here, we're separated from him. When we're not here, we're with him. It doesn't say anything about how long you have to wait or what to, no. It says here, there, there, here. That, it's that simple. It's cut and dried. And, and this is what this is what Paul's talking about here when he talks about the glory that will be revealed. It's not what we're going to be in this lifetime. It's what we're going to be in the next lifetime. And you know, I, I realized something not long ago. As a pastor, you know, over 40 years, I'm just going to be honest with you, funerals come in bunches. It's a rare thing to do a funeral. Usually if I do a funeral, I do two or three funerals. I don't know why that is. I guess, you know, we have a herd mentality or something. I, I don't really get it, but I, I know what happens. But, you know, several weeks ago, we went through one of those little things. And there were several services. Just And as those days went by and I had conversations with family members and friends of the family, Something that I have known in the back of my mind for a long time became, it, it pressed to the forefront of my thoughts. Whenever we are in those periods of time and we're having to deal with those realities in our family and among our friends, our home, whatever, I get a lot of people ask me, what's heaven like? 
And I got to thinking back across about 40 years, and you know what? I've never had anybody ask me, what's hell like? People don't want to think about hell, but they want to think about heaven. Now, I'm going to tell you a little bit about heaven because I know a little bit about it. I I can tell you about hell too, though, and I, I don't want to. But I want you to understand something. Why in the world is he going there? What's he talking about? This letter was written to born-again believers in Rome. This is the reason Paul talks about the glory to be revealed. But I want you to listen to me very carefully in this room this morning. If you're sitting in this room and you have never come to the Father in repentance and faith through Jesus Christ, You don't need to be concerned about heaven. You need to be living in fear of hell. Because both are real. For those who do not know Christ, hell is a reality. It is a place of eternal separation from God. It is a place where the worm never dies. It is a place of torment. It is a place where thirst is never quenched. It is a place where the fire never goes out. It is a place of outer darkness, of weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. It is a place of unspeakable terror and horror. And it is a place that is reserved for those who have rejected the claim of Christ upon their lives. Enough about that. Let me tell you about heaven. By the way, just for your information, there's a whole lot more in this book about hell than there is about heaven. I just want you to understand that, okay? And it's not because God wants to scare people. It's because God wants people to realize they don't want to be there, all right? People always want to know the other side of it. They want to know what's heaven like. And I'm going to tell you honestly, I don't know. I haven't been there. I'm going to be there one day, but I'm going to tell you what Scripture does tell me I can look forward to. And I'm just going to start off by saying, John, this one's for you. Revelation 5, 9 says it is a place of music. It talks about a great choir that has been assembled from all over the earth, and it says that they sang a new song. Now, for those who don't like new songs, I just want you to understand it's going to be beautiful, okay? So you just give it a chance. He goes on from there in Revelation chapter 7, and he says it's a place of praise. He talks about this huge throng that cannot be numbered of people from every nation and every tribe and every tongue and every people on the face of the earth. And they are gathered together and they are praising before the throne. And it says that they're there in their white robes. Oh, and they're not by themselves. Now the angels are there and the elders are there. And they're all singing his praises and they're talking about the salvation that comes from the Lord and that comes through his son Jesus Christ to the one who sits upon the throne and the Lamb. And they're singing his praises even as they are rejoicing. Revelation chapter 14 says it's a place of rest. And I know a lot of people say, man, I cannot wait to get to heaven. I'm so ready for that place of rest. 19.7 says it's also a place of rejoicing. But my favorite description is found in Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21 says we'll never again experience sickness. Not going to be any sorrow, no pain, no death, no suffering, no tears. 
See, all of those things will be passed away. Everything will be made new. I look forward to that. I think most of us do. It's kind of difficult to walk in here and talk about suffering and glory, putting them side by side in, in sequence, but I want you to understand the reality. I want you, if you've got your Bible, just look at verse 18 one more time. Paul said, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. They are both a reality. The present sufferings and the glory to be revealed, they are both realities. But understand, they are dueling realities. My dad would always say it like this, like comparing apples and oranges. It's dueling realities. They're as different as they can be, but they're both real. Suffering, that's for the present moment. Glory, that's for the future. And Paul's message in this verse, in verse 18, is that the things we're going through right now aren't enough, should not be enough to take our eyes off of what lies before and what will be. Now listen, I'm not diminishing anything you're going through. And I'm not trying to minimize anything you have experienced or will experience or experiencing even in this present moment. Suffering is tough. And it's real. And I want you to hear what I'm about to say very carefully. If you haven't heard much of anything I've said, and you just thought, you just mumbo-jumbo, I want you to focus for a moment, okay? Being a born-again Christian does not exempt you from suffering or struggling in this life. Now, I know that there are guys you can go home and turn on the TV and you can listen to them preach and they're going to tell you otherwise. And so let me just make a simple declaration before I move on. They're liars. They're liars. There's not anything in the Word of God that would indicate, tell us, or confirm for us that if we belong to Jesus, we will never suffer, we will never hurt, we will never know pain or struggle. That's not truth. Believing in Jesus does not give you a pass on hardship or difficulty or pain. It ought to be for us a constant reminder that this is just for a little while. And then, and then, glory. The glory will be revealed. My friend, I want you to understand where I'm at this morning. Jesus is coming again. Even now, listen, we could sit here today and we could have all kinds of debates of when and how and the timetable and whether it's going to happen before or in the middle of or after. I don't care about any of that. It's going to happen when God says it happens. And I want you to hear me. Jesus is coming again. Even now, in this moment, standing here before you, I am waiting. I am anticipating. I am expecting to hear a shout and a trumpet blast and for this to all come to an end. I know that when it happens, rewards lie ahead for those who follow Christ, despite the cost. Those who share in His glorious gospel are going to experience a revealing of glory in their lives and in their bodies and in their existence like nothing they have ever known. The eternal kingdom of God lies ahead. I don't know about you, but I'm just going to make my proclamation right now on this piece of ground. I am ready to go. Are you ready? By the way, 
I want to take as many people with me as I can. How about you? How about you? Are you taking anybody with you? Remember this. This life, at its longest, this life is just a season. But eternity is forever. Maybe you're suffering right now. Maybe you're struggling. You're saying, you know, I wish you could give me some answers. (laughs) I just did. Hang on. Endure. Don't give up. Don't quit. Because your hope is not here. Your hope is with Jesus in eternity. That's the answer, my friend. We're going to suffer. We're going to struggle. We're going to have to fight through this life. But it's just for a little while. And then, then the glory will be revealed. I had someone say to me, you know, I I just don't think it's fair. It's not. But I've come to this conclusion There are times, I'm not saying all the time, and I'm not saying every time, so please don't take offense at what I'm about to say, but I believe that there are times when God allows suffering and hardship and struggle into the lives of children, His children, those He wants to be His children, because He is trying to use those struggles to draw people closer, to draw them to Himself. Just like everything else, we choose whether we're going to be drawn toward him or whether we're going to push ourselves away and say, I don't want any part of a God who would let something like this happen in my life. I want you to understand, friend, no matter how great the suffering of the present moment is, if you know Jesus Christ, glory lies ahead. Don't give up. Don't quit. Glory lies ahead. One day, one day when life is over for each one of us, we will stand before a judge. You will stand before a throne upon which is seated a judge. And God's word is very clear and very plain that there are two thrones. There's a great white throne. And those who appear before that throne are already condemned. They are there because they are there without Christ. And I want you to know that the words of Romans 8.1 do not apply to them. They are condemned. Hell lies ahead. The second throne is the one we call the Bema seat. The judgment seat of Christ. 
And those who appear there are going to have to give an accounting for the way they've lived life. Words spoken, thoughts, attitudes, actions. Services rendered, services ignored. I'm going to be at that throne, by the way. Because everyone who appears at that throne belongs to Jesus Christ already. And I want you to know, when that day comes, there's going to be a smile on my face that's so big my ears are going to get wet. And it's not because I'm perfect. It's not because I don't have anything to account for. I do. But whenever I walk up there, I, I just know in my heart, I know in my head, because it's been tattooed in my brain. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. My friend, I hope you join me at that seat. I hope you join me there before the Lord, knowing that there is no condemnation. How do you do that? There's only one way. You must, you must come to the Father in confession. You must repent of your sin, turning from it. You must confess Jesus Christ as Lord. You must surrender your life, your heart, your will to him and allow him to be your master, your savior, your boss, your Lord. You must. You keep saying must, preacher. Why? Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is no other way. So if you are going to come to the Father, if you are going to experience the glory that is to be revealed, you must come through Jesus. So let me make this easy. If you're here this morning and you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, you know that you have repented of your sin and you have confessed to him and you have received his free gift of eternal life, you ought to be putting a smile on your face right about now. The glory lies ahead and one day soon it will be revealed. And my friend, we ought to be rejoicing in that every day. But if you're in this room and you know in your heart of hearts that you have never come to that moment in time, you have never come to that place where you have given control of your life over to Jesus Christ. I'm inviting you. I'm pleading with you. I beg you, don't Leave this place without crying out to him and simply telling him, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. He already knows it. He's just waiting for you to confess it and admit it. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I, I need you. I want you to take my sin away, to wash me clean and make it like it never was. You are the Son of God. You are the crucified, buried, resurrected Lord. And I surrender control of my life to you. God's Word says, my friends, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Preacher, you don't know who I am. You don't know where I've been, the things I've done, what I've been involved in. God can't forgive me. 
Oh, yes, he can. It's not his desire that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So, my friend, he's offering you a gift, a gift of eternal life. The question is, will you receive it? Would you take what he offers? And I don't know what to do. Tell you what you do. In a moment, we're going to pray. We're going to stand. We're going to sing a song. When we're singing, come down here and take me by the hand and say, Pastor, I want that relationship. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do it. That's why I'm here. I'd be happy to share with you from the Word of God how you can become a child of God today and experience life eternal and life abundant. Wouldn't it be great to walk out these doors knowing that you came in a condemned man, a condemned woman, and walk out the door and look at the world and say, No condemnation. No condemnation. Jesus took it. That can happen for you today. If you'll let it. Let's bow our heads together. In just a moment, we're going to stand together and sing a song. It's not going to be long. You've already sung it, I believe. But it's a time of invitation. It's an opportunity for you to surrender your life to Him. It's an opportunity. Maybe you just need to talk to him where you're at. Maybe you're his child, but you've run so far away. You've gotten into things you shouldn't. You've let your life become something that doesn't even represent faith in Christ. And and you know you need to come back to him. You need to come home. You can do that. Talk to him where you're at. You want someone to pray with you? I'll meet you down here. We'll pray together. My friend, I'm simply asking you, would you let him have control of your life? It's not about me. It's not about this church. It's not about Baptist. This is about you and Jesus Christ. Because when it's all said and done and we've breathed our last and we stand before him, it's not going to be what church did you go to, what pastor did you know, who prayed with you. No, it's going to be what did you do with my son Jesus. This may be the best opportunity you ever have. To surrender to him. I'm just asking you. Will you do it? Father I thank you this morning for your word. (laughs) Lord I am so thankful. That in your marvelous sovereignty. You stuck this eighth chapter in here. To give hope to the hopeless. to give glory to those who are condemned. And Father, I thank you for saving a sinner like me. Lord, across this room, there are numbers of people who are my brothers and sisters of Christ, and I know right now that your Spirit is searching them. And maybe there are hearts that need to be examined and need to be revealed. And maybe there are confessions that need to take place. And Father, I pray that you would do what you desire to do in each of our lives. But I'm equally convinced, Father, that there are some in this room who do not know you as Lord and Savior. Or maybe they come to church. Maybe, maybe they're good people and they, they say the right things and they go to the right places and do the right things. But they've never surrendered their lives to you. Father, I pray right now that your spirit would convict and convince them that Jesus Christ is their only hope. I pray that you would draw them to yourself, that today they would surrender control of their lives. Father, apart from Jesus, 
we have no hope. And so I pray right now that your spirit would reveal our need, that you would draw us to the place of repentance and confession, and you would do a miracle in lives today. Father, have your way so that when we walk out these doors, we will know there is no condemnation because we walk in Christ. Father, have your way in each life. For I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.